So, Will. Yes? If you didn't read the Wikipedia page, which immediately spoils the twist of the movie... Which, to be clear, I did not. So I was twisted. Oh, I... I knew it because of the Snapchat you sent. But the twist of the movie, spoiler alert, is that Dracula is actually Judas, which means at one point, Jesus just kind of shows up and is a credited actor. He has no lines, though. He's just on screen. Yes, it's just his body getting nailed to a cross, mostly. And there is, like, a weird montage of The Last Supper. Film has a long history of Jesus showing up and just kind of saying something and going away. So I'm curious, what is your favorite Jesus cameo in a movie? I mean, I tried to think of something funny, but the one that immediately lodged in my head was in Silence, the Scorsese movie about Jesuit missionaries in Tokugawa-era Japan. And there's a scene late in the movie where... They have been found out, and it's against the law for these missionaries to be in Japan at the time, and they're sort of like trussed up, sort of being tortured, and I think the Andrew Garfield one is staring at this icon of Jesus, and a big thing through the movie has been doubt and uncertainty about the existence of God, you know, the silence that they hear, and suddenly they hear a voice coming from this icon, and it's this like sort of radical, earth-shifting moment in the movie. It's also significant that the voice is that of Liam Neeson, who, like, was their Jesuit superior before they left Europe. So it's this whole thing of, like, continuing the uncertainty. Are they really hearing from Jesus, or are they just sort of imagining the spiritual guidance of their superior? I think it is also noticeable that it is Liam Neeson, because he, of course, played the Jesus analog in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh my god, I forgot he was the voice of Aslan. Yeah, so he's been Jesus at least twice. That is uh, very different than my first thought, which is in Life of Brian, when Jesus is just, like, having a parallel storyline, which I always found very fun. That's a movie I have always meant to watch and have never gotten around to. I haven't seen it in a long time. The Monty Python library is, like, always on Netflix. They're very easy to watch. I just have not. Yeah, I've seen Holy Grail the most, and I think I've seen all the other movies, but Life of Brian is very much a movie that was written by people that went to Cambridge or Oxford or wherever they went. But I enjoyed it. I'd recommend it. Jesus makes a cameo as a parallel messiah to Brian, which is funny because you can tell they went to Cambridge because they are the kind of people that are aware that there were many messiahs at the time, historically, but only one kind of stuck around. And it was Brian, I'm assuming. Yeah, naturally. Uh, Anyway, Colin, what is your favorite Jesus cameo? The one that immediately popped into my head was History of the World Part 1, which is just a a classic, irreverent Mel Brooks film. And uh, the the scene that Jesus is in is during the Last Supper, and someone comes in to paint the group, and he gets a bunch of the backs of people's heads because they're sitting at the table like normal people and jesus is like oh this won't do so he crowds everyone together on one side to get that classic last painting supper that we're all now familiar with it's a relatively short bit just because of the you know the way the movie is set up is da vinci that they bring in to paint the picture which i always found very fun right he was there how else would he know what it looked like I also love the moment in that scene where right after Jesus says, someone will betray me tonight, Mel Brooks as their waiter says, Judas, which brings us to this film. (laughs) 
Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if various romances are intermittently hinted at and peppered through and not followed up on, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are joined by Colin Turgeon to talk about another monster being updated for the new millennium, Dracula 2000. Hello? So, we should acknowledge that at the end of our episode last week, we said we would be covering Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. That movie is not available to rent or purchase anywhere online, so we had to find something else. So I googled bad vampire movies to fill that slot, which is how we wound up with Dracula 2000. Which is a lie, because this is not a bad vampire movie. (laughs) This movie rules. I was 10 minutes in, I was just like, do I like this movie? (laughs) And then it just. At like 25, I'm like, secret masterpiece? Yeah. And the thing is, I just kept expecting it to just like get worse, especially once the heist part was over. I was really just like, okay, but this is where it's going to get bad. And then it just never got bad. Kind of doesn't really. Once the movie was over, I sat there and I was like, wait, this movie was supposed to be bad. I thought this was going to be like a, you know, so bad it's funny. This was just good. I I was lied to. These critics are wrong. Yeah. I think part of it, in terms of the reaction, this movie was released by Miramax slash Dimension. Uh, Dimension was the, like, schlocky, horror-y division of Miramax. They opened this movie on December 22nd, which is, to me, an obviously terrible idea. Like, this is not a Christmas movie. This is an any other time of year movie. This is a Halloween movie. You can even, it like, put Jesus. this out in the summer it's a and Christmas it movie. Put it at Easter. Yeah, we were looking for Easter movies. We got this one. (laughs) But, like, when this movie opens, it opens in seventh place behind Castaway, What Women Want, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Miss Congeniality, The Emperor's New Groove. Like, those are holiday movies. Yes, those are, well, this movie is also fun, but a very different kind of fun. Right. That was a terrible choice on their part. It's also just like, when you put it out on December 22nd, 2000, you're like really squeaking Dracula 2000 in Under the Wire. Well, it's called Dracula 2001 internationally because it didn't make it in time. That's what they should have done here. Like, I think we need to talk a little bit about the cultural obsession with the year 2000, but like, there was equal cultural obsession with 2001, and they could have just done that. Like, hold it for March and just call it Dracula 2001. A choice was made. It was the wrong choice, but that doesn't really excuse the critics who are supposed to watch these movies independent of all of that kind of vibe. Yeah. I mean, this movie is cool in a way that only something released between The Matrix and September 11th is able to be cool. It fits in a very niche cultural window, but it does it so well. Right. It's that period where, like, any kind of digital technology is still very cool and exciting. As opposed to now when, like, you watch, like, a Transformers movie or whatever, and they have all kinds of absurd technology, and you're just kind of like, whatever, that's what movies look like. It was all convoluted and exciting in these late 90s movies. But then also, it's pre-9-11, so it has that sort of, like, "Eh, who cares confidence of 90s America. Yeah, it's very much just a movie about nothing. It really is not a movie that tried to explain the cultural shift of 
the 9-11 moment, which you basically only had for the next few years. And it's so courageously post-Matrix that they included long flowing black coats and small sunglasses. You have to! It was apparently legally required. I just can't get over sexy Dracula in a Neo coat. Where did he get the coat? He's supposed to have been in the coffin. Did he steal the coat from Danny Masterson? Is that what happened? I think that is what happened. Okay, but he never changes. I will say, I love I love the trap that Christopher Plummer makes, where he traps Dracula for like a century in this coffin with leeches to suck out his blood so that he won't be able to like come up. Like, it's pretty cool. There are some good ideas in this movie. Well, I mean, the leeches are mostly sucking his blood so he can get zooted on vampire blood. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant the I thought you meant the trap that they used to catch him originally. I thought that was quite close. Oh, the mirror the, trap. The mirror? Yeah. Another great trap. And also the trap where when you remove the coffin from the pedestal, giant spikes come down and stab you. The movie does a great job of going from a heist movie to a horror movie with just that one trap. Yeah, especially because also once they get the coffin, I'm like, oh, we're about to get Dracula immediately. And this is going to be a movie where Dracula is like all over it. But it takes another 15 minutes of horror style pacing of things just going a little bit wrong and a little bit wrong. Right. A little more blood getting sucked into the coffin every few minutes. I'm not entirely clear on the mechanics of how that worked, but I did like the visual. I just want to know how they didn't notice it. I I think they were focused on other things. They were very distracted by the giant spikes, I would imagine. My favorite idea of traps is hiring a contractor to make them. Christopher (laughs) Plummer had to pay someone to come into his vault in London and design a swinging trap triggered by a pressure plate. Who, who? That is an interesting point, because normally when we see traps like this, it's in Indiana Jones movies, and you're like, well, these traps were built hundreds of years ago, but these were built in the 20th century. Yeah. I like to think that there's just a, a wide enough group of vampire hunters out there that inevitably there's a contractor vampire hunter, there's a guy who does, like, IT and stuff, and so these people just kind of borrow each other's skills when it comes to vampire-related craziness, and, and that's how they kind of keep this under wraps. No, no, those are mummies that are under wraps. This is a vampire. Oh, shut up. Yeah, I guess under silver then. He, I guess, also has been alive long enough to have just learned how to be a metal worker and contractor. And also to fake his death twice, it seems. Yeah. Because he's playing his own grandson. Yes. I thought... uh, And I'm curious about the legal implications of that, because I think the movie does imply that he has been in London since, like, the 1890s. So he's been reinventing himself in the same city, which seems harder than moving. Yeah, because he was never young again. So, like, how does he explain the lack of childhood photos or anything like that? I will say, like, I loved every beat of Christopher Plummer's introduction where, first, someone calls him Mr. Van Helsing. And I'm like, Christopher Plummer is going to be Van Helsing? Let's go. And then he's like, no, no, vampires aren't real. Why would Bram Stoker say that about my grandfather, who was a nice country doctor? And I'm like... All right, so, like, that's the tack we're taking. Like, Dracula exists as a fictional novel, and Christopher Plummer is also going to get wrapped up in this. And then it's like, no, I have been using leeches to suck the blood out of Dracula, and then taking the blood out of the leeches and injecting it into my arms so that I could be immortal with vampire blood, and I am the original Van Helsing, and I'm so glad I have this crossbow that shoots silver bolts. The lack of... 
wooden stakes in his repertoire was an interesting choice because that is the most classic version, I feel. Yeah, I associate silver more strongly with werewolves. Right, but I guess it's so that they were building up to the 30 pieces of silver. They wanted to highlight that one. Right. Which, I like, I do think there is some clever stuff. As ridiculous as the Judas thing is, I like the idea of trying to explain those aspects of vampire lore. Right. They do a pretty good job. I'm curious about the knots in the sequel to explain how vampires get obsessed with knots. Mustard seeds, I guess, because of the parable of the mustard seed. Yeah, it's another Jesus thing. Well, I think the knot is probably from the... The noose. You know, the dead man's noose. Oh, yeah. right. Dead man's knot. Oh, so clever. Yeah, it's possible that stuff gets explained in the direct-to-video sequels to this movie, Dracula 2 Ascension and Dracula 3 Legacy, which share, like, no characters from this movie besides Dracula slash Judas, and are mostly about, like, this Vatican priest who is a vampire hunter. I'm not opposed to watching these movies. (laughs) Yeah, having read the descriptions on Wikipedia, they sound interesting, and frankly, they sound more like what we expected when we watched this movie. Right, whereas this movie just was good is good (laughs) like to be clear it's not great but if you want like a schlocky post matrix vampire movie it's delivering exactly what you ask for i mean it's just a solid action movie that never goes too long without a fun action sequence i do want to take a second to talk about mary's performance because (laughs) oh oh do you choices were made by that actress throughout the entire movie that i don't understand but i respect So that's Justine Waddle, who is a South African actress. Um, She had been in some other stuff. She was in Mansfield Park the year before, but she doesn't have, like, a lot of screen performances. Well, I mean, she's in Dracula 2000. We're not talking about the highest budget film. Okay, but also, we've got Christopher Plummer as Van Helsing, and we have, like, the first lead-ish performance of Gerard Butler. He looks so young in this movie. Yeah. He's not all, he's not craggly, which is what I associate with Gerard Butler now. So he's 31 in this movie. But back to Mary, I just love that she delivers every line like she's in a dream sequence. Even when she's just talking to her friend, Vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they mostly are in a dream sequence. Like, she's constantly slipping out in and out of, like, that Kylo Ren, Ray, like, we're talking to each other in different locations situation. And I guess we should stop calling that, like, the Raylo thing and call it the Dracula 2000 thing. Like, I'm sure that's what Ryan Johnson was going for. You know he's seen this movie. I'm certain that Ryan Johnson has watched Dracula 2000. But we should also acknowledge that I think part of the reason that she feels like she is in a dream all the time is that everywhere she goes, she is reminded of her job at the Virgin Megastore with vitamin C. Vitamin C is just giving such a performance in this movie as Lucy. Also, the fact that they just straight up called her Lucy. Because isn't isn't that the name of the slutty one in Dracula, the book? Yes. Okay. I thought so. I was worried I was going crazy for a second. I mean, the three, like, seductress vampire women, they're not vampires at the start, but they become, like, the sexy vampires, are Vitamin C, Jennifer Esposito, and Jerry Ryan from Star Trek Voyager. Jennifer Esposito is giving quite a performance in this movie, too. Nobody is phoning this in. It's true. Everyone is giving it their all, including esteemed actor Christopher Plummer playing Van Helsing. He's good in it. 
getting high off of vampire blood. For Christopher Plummer, like, it's 2000, but, like, he's still in the pocket. This is the year after The Insider, which he's great in. He probably should have won an Oscar for it. I will say... Dracula 2000 is mentioned zero times on Christopher Plummer's main Wikipedia page. <laughs> I mean, when you have a body of work like that, you don't throw in the the panned performances or panned movies. As far as I'm concerned, it should be in like the top paragraph, like, known for The Sound of Music, The Insider, Dracula 2000. <laughs> and the, what is it called? The cost of money, the amount of money... The movie he was photoshopped into. Oh, all the money in the world. All the money in the world. He's good in that movie. He wasn't actually photoshopped. I'm assuming that he filmed the scenes. No, they did reshoots. I don't know why in my head I pictured it as like a mocap performance. <laughs> so like they just shot him on a green screen and like digitally put his face on Kevin Spacey's. Yes. In the in the like suit with all the little balls on it. No, because that movie is like one of the big ones. When, as part of Time's Up, they were talking about, like, equal pay for men and women in Hollywood. It wasn't the movie itself. It was the reshoots with Christopher Plummer that Mark Wahlberg got paid way more than Michelle Williams. Oh, right. I forgot about that aspect. I just don't understand how people didn't like this movie. I don't get it. Like, it's fun. It's weird. But it's fun. I also do think that... I do think it might be easier to appreciate from a distance when... We're not living in a time where there are so many Matrix clones coming out. They're just like, oh, another one of these. And this time, like, the twist is that Judas is the bad guy. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think it's good. What's interesting is, like, the screenplay is credited to Joel Sasson, who's a producer. But Scott Derrickson, who, like, was a big script doctor at the time and now is, like, a horror director. He did Slither. He did Doctor Strange. He said Harvey Weinstein, the head of Miramax, called him after buying the movie and was like i just bought this movie called dracula 2000 and scott derrickson was like oh is it a good movie and weinstein's like no it sucks and so scott derrickson said well why did you buy it and weinstein said because it's called dracula 2000 so i'm gonna need you to rewrite all of the dialogue for this movie so he didn't like restructure the story but he rewrote all the dialogue the big thing he cited was that like he wrote all the stuff about judas refusing to ask for forgiveness and that's why he's a vampire and can't die I think I need to watch this movie again. Um, I I kind of suffered from... I saw the bad reviews, so I didn't give it, like, my full attention. I was watching it as an action movie. But they throw in all these little things, like the biblical references. Honestly, even the stupid stuff, like the characters being named Simon and Mary. Yeah. Like, it's intentional. There's clearly intentional, smart aspects to this movie. It can't be dumb luck. No, it absolutely is. And Derrickson in particular is a guy who very much identifies himself as like, I am a Christian filmmaker, but I don't make Christian movies. I make horror movies. It's like he is very into all of that symbolism. So all of it's deliberate. One thing this movie did make me think of is just imagine if we had got the dark universe and they were all like this. It would have been great. They're actually, depending on who you ask, may or may not be a Dracula movie in the dark universe. because. The first Dark Universe movie was supposed to be Dracula Untold, which is like a Dracula prequel, basically. But yeah, wouldn't that just like be the Bible story? In... No, no, no. So From Judas's perspective. <laughs> it's about Vlad Dracula in the 15th century. And when that was in development, it was like, okay, that's the first movie of the Dark Universe. And then when the Dark Universe jumps to the present, we will use that Dracula for the movie. 
And then Dracula Untold flopped, and Universal was like, Dracula Untold was never a part of the Dark Universe. The Dark Universe will start with the mummy. Wait, Dracula Untold came out? Yeah, in like 2014. I've never heard of, I assumed they just scrapped it. Yeah, you didn't hear of it, and neither did most Americans. (laughs) Oh god, I just looked at the cover. (laughs) Look, every bloodline has a beginning. What a terror. We should watch it. <laughs> um, speaking of, of taglines for Dracula movies, I love the tagline for what was marketed as Wes Craven Presents Dracula 2000. The tagline is, the most seductive evil of all time has now been unleashed in ours. I mean, they're not wrong. I've never seen such a seductive monster. Dracula is known for being the sexiest monster. in the, Right, he's the hot monster. In the universe, I feel. The dark universe. Especially the dark universe. Even though Angelina Jolie is slated to play Bride of Frankenstein. In a Bill Condon movie? that's That can't be happening anymore. Oh, I assume it's not, but boy did I want to see it. Bride of Frankenstein is my favorite of the old monster movies I've seen. Yeah, it rules. Um, I mean, there's not a ton to talk about about this movie because it was a flop. And, you know, I mean, it got two direct-to-video sequels, but nobody was, like, in love with it. It's directed by Patrick Lussier who is mostly an editor. He edited a lot of Wes Craven's movies in the 90s. And his only writing credits are on the three Dracula 2000 movies, Drive Crazy 3D, and Terminator Genesis. Yeah, this movie feels kind of like there's not a ton going on with its staff. It does feel a little bit like a direct-to-video movie. Like, if you told me this was straight to Blockbuster, I would believe you. If it didn't have Christopher Plummer, I think this movie would be a straight-to-Blockbuster movie. Well, how many Wes Cravens were straight to release or straight to home release? Uh, that is a great question. I mean, the man made so many movies. Obviously, he's probably one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in horror. Yeah. But boy, does he put his name on a lot of movies. He did Scream, right? He did Scream yes. and Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, those are his big two. And Red Eye. Right. That's why we talked about him last year. The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, I mean, just, just looking at his his movie list is... Incredible. Can you imagine having a brain that comes up with horror? I I feel like you could only be the most tortured, awful soul or a great guy. I don't think there's any in between. I don't think you can be a normal, you know, average Joe and just come up with this kind of stuff. No. Turns out Wes Craven is his birth name. That's awesome. I would never have assumed that. I would never have guessed. I mean, if you grow up with the name Wes Craven... I feel that Congratulations, you, have to you work the, in horror. Yeah, you have to be the master of horror. With your birth certificate, you're given like government bonds that just say first two movies for Dracula 2000. Dracula 2000. There actually is a like TV movie called Dracula 3000 that has nothing to do with this, but is about Dracula in space. Again, all of these other movies feel like the movie I was expecting for this. Yeah. And then this turned out to be entertaining okay i need to take a step back and say i'm not saying this movie is like great but it was surprising in its goodness it was fun i was trying to figure out when i was gonna watch this and i have a long lunch break this year like i have a free period during the lunch period which means that not only do i not teach i'm like free when i would have lunch and when i would be teaching so i have a lot of time And so I just went out to my car and watched this movie in the middle of the school day. (laughs) And it was a great way to take a break. It is a way to shut your brain down from teaching for a while. 
It was great. And take a second to learn the true story of Dracula. I teach in a Catholic school. I can bring this information about Judas to my students. If you ever teach a religion class, I dare you one day to just mention that Judas becomes the first vampire and leave it at that. Here's the deal. Showing this movie in a religion class to talk about, like, forgiveness or whatever would not be the most outrageous connection a teacher has ever made to show a movie. No, but this would be one of the most violent movies ever done with that. Yeah, and there are boobs, so. There's shadow boobs. No, I think there was boobs boobs. Yeah, when when Lucy Count Dracula slash Judas Iscariot is having sex with vitamin C, there oh, are yes. just straight up boobs. Oh, yes, I forgot about that scene. I tried to not pay attention. <laughs> It was disconcerting, to say the least. (laughs) I assume we will be digging in during the romance discussion. Yeah, so speaking of banging, should we talk about the romance of Dracula 2000? I was watching this, and the whole time I was just like, thank God I don't have to come up with the points (laughs) for this. When it started, I was like, I don't know if there's going to be any romance. And then, like, early on, Simon asked out Jennifer Esposito, and I was like, great, we've got an arc. And then... She was making out with another dude. And I was like, we're still good. And then I was like, oh, every scene is going to have different people flirting. Yeah, I realized it was a perfect setup for, you know, five points of five individual romances. And then when I finished the movie, I realized there's not five romances. And I still need five points. So I guess I have to find a central romance and, you know, play it by ear there. Oh, you didn't do five points about Jennifer Esposito dating Omar Epps? Uh, no. You know, I probably could have done five points for her, though. She tried to seduce that doctor and the detective and obviously doesn't care for Simon. Uh, yeah, sexy vampires. She does a great job with the turn. Yes, she does. When she reveals herself to be a traitor to Christopher Plummer. Right. I was really impressed with her like running into Omar Epps and then her flipping the switch and becoming Jennifer Esposito, essentially. The thing that strikes me about this movie as we get into the romance is that, like, the vampires are hornier than the average person, but the average person is pretty horny in this movie. Well, I am glad that this movie kept the original idea of Dracula, which is women's sexuality is the same thing as being a vampire. It is equally evil. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, like, the Jerry Ryan character who is introduced as, like, the horniest local news reporter. Yeah, I mean, the the point of Dracula in some ways, was to rail against the emerging new woman of the time who demanded things like being able to ride a bicycle in public without being arrested. But that would give them bicycle face. (laughs) Colin, do you know about bicycle face? I do not. There's this, like, public health panic in the late 1800s as women are riding bicycles. Bikes are, like, a big deal for women because they are cheap enough that women who typically don't have a lot of money of their own are able to buy them and it gives them a lot of autonomy because they can like travel around under their own power a lot of feminists of the late 19th century write about how liberating it was to have access to a bike and like mark said there's a lot of panic about what this means for gender roles in society a bunch of doctors start writing papers about how bike riding is dangerous because it gives you bicycle face because as you're riding along all the wind is hitting your face and it'll drag the skin of your face backwards and you'll have this weird pointed look with sagging flesh in the back of your head and so women should not ride bikes because it'll give them bicycle face and so since this is just a podcast and not a video podcast um the listeners don't know that this is what will looks like (laughs) In real life, uh, due to his cycle. Will is well, a I have like a scrunchie, so I hold all of the loose skin back, and it makes me look like one of the cool Gen Zers. Oh, God. 
Uh, I paint it to look like hair. Don't forget the bicycle will also make your uterus fall out. Yes. Trains too. Terrifying machines. Anyway, every week we discuss the romantic plotline of a movie by breaking down into five points, which for this movie, a Herculean effort, to be honest. So Colin, as our guest, why don't you take us to point one? All right, well, the the first point is the first few flash-betweens, I guess is what I'm going to call them, uh, where Mary, who we're given a name to later, and Dracula are kind of like, they see each other, or they see through each other's eyes, or we're not really sure what's going on. They, like, see one another in each other's circumstances. It's like they're a dyad in the Force, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. (sighs) You know why you never had me, Simon? Because your brits like to sweet talk and your brits like to romance. Uh, and all I want to do is suck. It just kind of establishes that there's something. That these people have some sort of relationship and it presumably close. But we really just don't know what's going on. She also particularly has been like having nightmares of like being in the coffin with who we later learn is Dracula slash Judas. One thing that I thought was really considerate by... Van Helsing was to include in his Dracula's helmet an ability to open the face mask so that Dracula, when he breaks out, can bite people. Yeah. It was sweet of him. It was very nice to include the ability for him to take, you know, reveal his teeth whenever he wants to. But yeah, so Mary has been having what she thinks are nightmares about this dude, but it's actually like their psychic connection because she is part vampire. Because Christopher Plummer is her dad, and as we mentioned, Christopher Plummer has become effectively immortal by injecting himself with vampire blood taken from leeches, and then he had sex with somebody and this child, Mary, who is therefore part vampire. I just want to point out that Christopher Plummer would have had to be about 160. (laughs) Who had that thought? When he had Mary. That's terrifying. And, like, does Mary's wife think that he is, like, Van Helsing the first or Van Helsing the second or Van Helsing the third? Or does she just know all of it? I think she knows. I think that's why she left and, and why she was kind of on the run with Mary. Oh, sure. Yeah, she know, she must know the whole story by the end, at least. Hence why the house was terrifyingly Catholic or however they phrase it. Yeah, because <laughs> Dracula slash Judas hates all things Christian. Yeah, but we find out it doesn't keep him away. It just enrages him and makes him stronger. <laughs> right, which is a weird move. So then, like, they want the visual of warding him off with a cross, but the way they do that is, like, the cross is secretly a silver dagger. Great moment. But don't forget, in this time, she is trying to figure out why she's having nightmares, so she goes to confession with her friend, Father Nathan Fillion. Who basically is like, you're probably gonna be fine. This is a moment where she is just acting as she demands to know the secret that her mother must have confessed during last rites about her history. And Nathan Fillion never explicitly says, like, your mom did tell me something freakish. He just commits to, like, if she did, I couldn't tell you. I think at the end he does say there's no secret, but we all know that's a lie. He said he knew nothing. Yeah. Which I, I kind of believe. I don't necessarily think it's a lie because I could see the mom taking it to her grave. Yeah, that's also true. Although, did did he really panic when she did end up going to the church and telling him? Well, apparently by the second movie, the Catholic church has figured out that Dracula is Judas Iscariot. I mean, by the second movie, the Vatican has an official vampire hunter. <laughs> wow. What a concept. 
All right. So she's having these nightmares slash daymares, and they're getting worse. Also romantically in here, uh, Christopher Plummer's assistant, Simon, wants to date Jennifer Esposito. And she's like, no, I don't date coworkers. And it turns out she is dating Omar Epps, who's a criminal, and wants to work with her to steal Christopher Plummer's valuables. And they're criminal partners, so they are kind of co-workers at that point. Oh, that's true. Whoa. She's breaking her own rule. So she will date co-workers. Uh, She's she's bad. She's a a bad lady. I love the idea that she doesn't actually know what's in the vault, but because there is a vault, it must be valuable. I recognize the logic. I do too, but I just love the idea that she works there and is just like, eh, there's probably something. It has no idea what's inside. The striking thing to me about the vault is that when you first go in, the walls are lined with vampire skulls. So Christopher Plummer has been collecting vampire skulls and keeping them in this vault, like embedding them in the walls. How do they afford a plane? They must be very good art thieves. Yeah, I guess that's it. Anyway, I think this is point two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So point two is Danny Masterson opens up the coffin that contains Dracula because he's an idiot. But if anything down here moves... Shoot it. You understand? Shoot it in the heart or cut off its head. You understand? They are the undead. The undead. Undead! And then he decides to start flicking the leeches off of Dracula. (laughs) Well, he knocks one into his own eye first. Ugh, that was rough. Which is awful. And then after he got the leech off his eye, he proceeds to start flicking the leeches again. And Dracula is just tired of this. So he just grabs him and kills him. But this is also where we start to see how Dracula has the power of seduction. He kills a bunch of people on the plane, and then he kind of uh, approaches Selena, and I think he just kind of wanted wanted to show off that he didn't need to attack them to bite them. He could just tell you to come over here and and just bite you. But only, yeah, he mesmerizes uh, which he does. But only women. Yes. He never seduces any men. So do you think that's because of him, or just because there was no gay men in the movie? I mean, I think it's tied to the fact that he has his vampire brides but i don't know i wonder how fluid (laughs) dracula's sexuality is yeah i mean we talked i don't remember what episode it was recently about like immortals and i just assume that somebody who is functionally immortal like tries everything at some point i mean that happens in palm springs right so i wonder i don't know how much dracula has i guess he's only been imprisoned for like the last hundred years and he's been around for like 2000 yeah he hasn't spent that much time in the coffin compared to his lifespan which also is curious how he is so decayed in only like a hundred years well it's because he's he's not just in the coffin like he's having his blood withdrawn constantly i guess how does christopher Plummer get the leeches out without dracula waking up well i mean like i think part of the problem is that danny masterson like Got a lot of the leeches out. And also, like, blood had been going into the coffin oh, for a while right. at that point. Yeah. So he'd gotten and some strength back. Took out the cross, which maybe or maybe not played a role. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, whereas, like, Christopher Plummer, I think, could, like, open it up and, like, snag a couple of leeches and it would still be fine. And then close it and be, be good, yeah. It's like if you wake up in the middle of the night, as long as you don't, like, get up and go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, it's much easier to fall back asleep. Yeah. I do like that this movie just went with the much more simple explanation that if Dracula drinks your blood, you become a vampire instead of the whole you have to willingly drink his blood three times thing. Is that a thing? Yeah. 
to become a vampire, I think you have to drink Dracula's blood. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess I'm just not up on the mythology here. I mean, some of this might be coming from Buffy, which I I take as canon in terms of vampire lore. I have seen yeah, I, two I vampire movies, both for this podcast. I have seen Dracula 2000 and Twilight. Well, I think Twilight doesn't... Sh- I feel like she had... To- I guess we never got to the point where she became a vampire. Yeah, we did not watch Breaking Dawn. I think I've seen it. I think she just gets bitten. I think he just bites her. There's a thing in Twilight where, like, intent matters, I think. Like, if you're biting to yes. turn someone into a vampire or if you're biting just to, like, get their blood. To eat. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise there would be way more vampires than people at a certain point. Yeah, and the- you're just creating more competition for blood. It's just, it doesn't help you out in the long run. Yeah. I think I've actually seen more vampire TV than vampire movies. Um, well, sure, there's Buffy, on, What We Do in the Shadows. Great show. And then The Strain. Oh, which is, sure. was also on FX. And there's a lot of similarities between that and the lore for Dracula 2000. Is Judas in The Strain? He is not in The Strain, but it's a lot of the same. Um, one of the main characters makes himself not immortal, but he's like 110 and in pretty good shape oh, wow. from putting vampire blood in his eyeballs or something. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't like eye business. Yeah, I think the grossest part of this for me was the leech on the eye. Yeah, that's horrifying. Was that worse than Christopher Plummer drawing the blood out of the leech and then injecting it into himself? Yeah. Yeah, the eye leech was worse. I've seen enough people injecting themselves in movies at this point, to be honest. Yeah, part of it too is like, Christopher Plummer, like we watch him make a deliberate and it's shown repeated decision to do that to himself. And like, I'm just not going to make that choice. So that's not a circumstance that I need to worry about. But like, apparently leeches can get flung into my eye. Just don't scrape them off vampires and you'll be fine. I guess so. So are we at point number three? Dracula's got Jennifer Esposito now. So he's got the first of his little harem. Yeah. So Dracula seduces Lucy. At the Virgin Megastore. You may not have noticed this, but some of the characters in this movie work for Virgin. So you haven't told me your name. I have many, but we're also much more complicated than our names. Uh, I, uh... Yes, Lucy. I was named after the Peanuts character. So, I don't know if it was just fate or luck or what, but uh, we have Dracula walking down the streets of the French Quarter in New Orleans during Mardi Gras, and he sees a music video where there's just, like, shock rock, you know, Marilyn Manson-type singer, and Dracula just looks up and says, my brother, and decides to just go to the music studio, I guess to talk to this this other freaky-looking guy? And when he's there, it turns out it's entirely run by women. There are no men in that entire building. It's all women, and... He finds Mary's roommate. Yeah, he's looking for Mary, who does work there. And she's like, oh yeah, Mary is not here right now, but I could leave work right now, and you can come to my house. And he's like, I'll, that sounds I'll great. say this. They seem to have a very friendly, like, break policy at this store. <laughs> People just leave. Yeah, Mary leaves all the time. Well, so Dracula, he's been in the coffin for a hundred plus years, so he probably might be getting scurvy and is drawn to a little vitamin C. <laughs> he also just like, when you think about that, like he has maybe experienced recorded music before. It's possible. 
but not a guarantee. And he's walking down the street and he sees a music video projected on the wall of a building. He adjusts to modern life very quickly. Yeah. I think at that point you've seen so much that you're like, ah, it seemed like magic a hundred years ago and it's na- now it's real. The shock wears off. You see new things and you're like, okay, yeah, I could believe that. Sure. Nothing surprises me anymore. But yeah, so they go back and they like walk around looking for Mary for a while, I guess. Like it gets to night when she's like, I guess we could go back to my place and you could come in. And then he starts seducing her. We met like they have sex like on the ceiling. Yeah, they fly around during sex. At first, I thought it was just like a metaphor or something, no, but then I realized no, they are, they're just flying around. And while that is going on, I think Mary has another one of like her visions. I think she sees some of it happening. I Yeah, yeah I think so. Because doesn't she run home? No, because Lucy then calls her. But calls her from inside the house. Yes. So she went home, I think, to talk to her dad because Simon found her. Oh, right. Because at this point, she's like working with Simon. Yes. Yeah. Because Simon offered her an explanation of the mystery man in her dreams. Well, she didn't She didn't like Simon. No. She knew that Simon worked for her father, and she didn't have a good relationship with her father. So, yeah, I think she was just kind of going home to ignore people. And she gets a phone call from Lucy, goes upstairs looking for her, does not find Lucy, but does find, like, Christopher Plummer's murdered body. Pretty gruesome. I thought he was going to live. I was so surprised that he was dead. I thought he'd be a larger part of the movie. Well, she... Yeah, she- it- it's a grisly death. She has to inherit the Van Helsing mantle. I guess, but I think they could have done that at the very end. But yeah, he he gets like an off-screen death, and she finds his mutilated body under her roommate's bed. Yeah. And now that means that we have, like, Dracula's full harem of Lucy and Selina and Jerry Ryan, whose name I can't remember. Does she even have a name? I don't think I don't she's think given she a name. Does. Well, no, they do because she's always like, okay, according to Wikipedia, it's oh, Valerie the, the Sharp. Man probably says it. Because her promo is always like, I'm Valerie Sharp. Turn me on at 10 to find out what happened when this plane crashed into the swamp. I cannot imagine a local news producer allowing her tagline to be, turn me on at 11. It's wild. All right, but I think this brings us to point four. Yeah, so point four, Dracula bites Mary and turns her. Judas Iscariot, the cross, the silver, all the things you came to despise. He's convinced that that they're like soulmates or destined for each other or something like that. It's not entirely clear what he wants with her. But I think he wants to be with her. Yeah. Because he doesn't kill her. He wants to be with her. I don't know if it's a romantic thing or if it's just like a partnership or brother and sister type thing. Yeah, that's what I can't figure out. Like, he clearly wants her around, but it's not entirely clear why. But everything about him is so, like, hypersexed that you just assume it's related. I think he might actually say that she is his daughter, in a way. Yeah, it's kind of weird that it's a little bit, like, he keeps talking about how she has his blood, but is also super sexual towards her. It's a little odd. I wish I hadn't remembered that. It was better when I when I thought it was just romance. Um, I mean, but, Dracula, yeah, Dracula slash Judas Iscariot is a weird dude. That's true. So he turns Mary, and it seems like everything's going to work out for them. You know, they're going to be together forever because he has that persuasion power over people. And he tells Mary to kill Simon. Because since Christopher Plummer is dead, Simon's like the one non-vampire who knows about all this. Yeah, so she fake bites Simon. 
And then she's like, ooh, can I cut off his head? And Dracula's like, yeah, go ahead. That sounds great. Cut off his head. So she gets a knife, and instead of killing Simon, it turns out she was not infatuated by Dracula like all the other women. Right, she's like immune or something because she has Dracula blood. So she just chops off, uh, I'm not sure whose head, Selena's head maybe? Yeah. Yeah, so she just chops off someone else's head and they have this epic fight scene on the the roof of, I don't know, some bar or a restaurant or something. Some bar with a large neon crucifix on top of it. Big Jesus, yeah. And I do appreciate that Simon is the one fighting the henchmen or henchwomen and he's not like rescuing mary mary is the one taking on dracula she is clearly the action star in the last scene as soon as she gets the bite she's clearly she has the upper hand she is stronger i will say people's heads vampires must have very brittle necks because it takes a lot of work to chop a head off well vampires are cold right so maybe the bones are kind of frozen Because even without any training, Simon is really able to cut Omar Epps' head off very quickly. It's like, bringing up the vampire's cold thing, I don't know if this is crass to talk about, but I thought about it during the sex with vitamin C thing, and I think about it every time there's a vampire sex scene. Like, there's a thing about vampires being cold, wouldn't that be very unpleasant? I mean, their blood also doesn't move, so it leaves a lot of questions. Vampire sex leads a lot of questions. Uh, yeah, maybe this should have been a Mora movie. Oh, sure. We need sure. a nurse, a medical expert, yes. to explain how this could work. We'll need to we'll make bring her... her back for Breaking Dawn Part 2 to also talk about the <laughs> birth of the baby, baby Renesme or whatever her name is. Oh my god. I love it. All right. I think that brings us to point five. So, in the middle of the fight, she's basically telling Dracula, you know, return to Jesus, you can be forgiven. And he's like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. I'm not going to. I don't want to. All of this Christianity stuff is obviously crap. I was there and saw it to be crap. Also, pages of the Bible that touched me turned to flame. But Christianity is definitely BS. Didn't your father ever tell you, Mary? I can't die. He won't have me. Did you ever ask? For what? Forgiveness? You really think I go back to him? Yeah, and she ends up, like, wrapping a a cord around his neck, and the other side is tied to the big neon Jesus, and he falls off the building. So he's hanged again. Yeah, he's hanged again, and he just, like, looks up at the big neon Jesus, and from what I can tell, finally, like, gives in, and, and I guess he takes it as a sign or something, and was like, wow, I've I've been a dick for 2,000 years. I I should probably stop doing that. And then he dies. Yeah. yeah, he gets her on fire in the sunlight, but only after releasing Mary from her vampirism. He says, like, I release you very dramatically. You're right, you're right. And it's interesting that he's able to do that. I think my favorite part about the sequels is the movie does, it ends with implying that he could come back at any moment, setting up potential sequels. But apparently in the third, the movie ends with the implication that Judas turned Jesus into a vampire and that is how Jesus came back to life. Oh my gosh. They were going to make a fourth one, but like they came up with a script for a fourth one, but nobody let them make it. Good. That is quite a twist that I honestly would not have seen coming. No. I genuinely, because I didn't look at Wikipedia until after I had watched it, 
generally wrote down in my notes, once Aramaic came up, I was like, is Dracula Jesus? Did you? I was curious. Did you figure it out? I guessed it was going to be Jesus-related once Aramaic came into play. I did not guess Judas. Like, what my notes say is, uh, OMG, is Dracula Jesus, an immortal being who knows Aramaic? And then it says, doesn't like Christianity, though, and pages from the Bible burn on contact. So, like, I had all the pieces there, but I didn't quite put them together. I think the thing that was the big giveaway to the writers was the silver. Yeah, that I think is the big idea they have, which is a pretty clever idea. Because I think traditionally, or, you know, according to some scholars, the idea that silver affects vampires and werewolves is because silver's antimicrobial properties were known. And so it's the idea of purity, because everything is usually related to purity with monsters. Yeah. Yeah. But I do like the idea of the 30 pieces of silver. I have to point out that Dracula can also turn himself into a wolf. And bats. Well, I don't know if he can turn himself into bats, or if being exploded turns him into bats. No, in the book Dracula, Dracula can turn himself into mist, a wolf, and bats. But I think it's actually all three of which he does in this. I had never, I had never heard the wolf stuff, the mist and bat stuff. Because I had seen. I thought the the wolf print turning into a human footprint at the beginning, I thought was actually really cool that they were bringing the wolf into it. Yeah, that's not that's a thing what I had. That known. was I was so confused because I was like, that doesn't look like a foot, a human foot. Yeah, I think the wolf doesn't come up a lot because of werewolves. Sure. Yeah, you don't need two monsters. Right. Yeah, that part of Dracula mostly goes untold. But I did think it was cool that this movie used that, and the footprint going from wolf to human was a cool sign to me. I was like, ooh, Dracula, he's here. But also, why would you kill the crew of the ship you're on? Hungry. Yeah, it's hunger. But you're gonna crash. Just wait. It's the scorpion and the frog. Well, he can teleport, so why does he need a ship? The same, like, slowly eating people one by one on the ship is part of the origin of Morbius, the living vampire, the Marvel character (laughs) that Jared Leto is playing. Oh, God. All right. I think we have now covered Dracula 2000, and so I am curious. Do you find this romance believable? I think part of the issue is, if we're talking about the Mary Dracula stuff, we're not 100% sure if it is a romance. Or a father-daughter thing. I'm leaning yeah. towards the movie doesn't know and kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too, but it's not very believable. Let's be real. So every week we rate the believability on a 10-point scale where zero means we believe none of it, 10 means we believe all of it. Colin, where would you put Dracula 2000? I have thought long and hard about this, and I think I'm going four. That's what I was going to say. Because, because you know, like we said, we don't know if it is a romance or not, but there's still that whole element of... He has this supernatural, like, persuasion. So he can if he wants, but it's just it's just not well, like, thought out, well versed in the movie. So it's not really clear what the end game is here. And plus, when you add in the, all the other little romance points, um, I think it just it bumps up a little bit to a four. Yeah, Omar Epps and Jennifer Esposito do seem to work. They're both awful people. Yeah, but it's great. It's like the uh, Killmonger and his girlfriend in Black Panther, just like the high-powered criminal relationship. Why haven't they made a Carmilla movie? Do you know about Carmilla? I do not. It's a vampire book that came out, I think, even before Dracula, but vampirism is lesbianism. So there's like a sexy woman vampire who seduces another woman into being a vampire, essentially. 
Which seems primed for a 2020s film adaptation. Yeah, has A24 heard of this? <laughs> Seriously, has Ari Aster heard about this movie? Um, okay, so there have been some some film adaptations of this, according to Wikipedia. Oh, apparently there was one last year. Nothing in 2020 actually happened. I see a 2019 one with no Wikipedia page. I mean, the book's in the public domain, so it's not like they have to fight for the rights. Yeah, it seems like there have been a lot of, like, micro-budget kind of things, which frankly makes sense given the history of, like, lesbian film not being able to get financing. But it's now the perfect era for a period lesbian movie. Right. But with a like, vampire Like, this is what twist. the market loves right now. We all love logging period lesbian movies. Lesbian vampire novella is how Wikipedia describes it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Now, um, do we think that any of our romantic leads is dateable? No. <laughs> yeah, Mary's a weirdo. Dracula, bad dude. Murderer. We don't we don't care for murderers in this podcast. Yeah. I think Mary is borderline. I yeah. I think once Dracula releases her, I don't think she'll be as uptight and anxious. I, I think without some of that, I think her quirkiness, her bad quirkiness goes her away. Her dream voice would get very old because she doesn't say words in a normal way for 90% of this movie. Well, I I wonder how much of that is her just like she doesn't even know what's real anymore, and she's just so tired from all of this, these, like, flash sideways, that she's just never fully in the moment. That's possible. Uh, plus, she has that whole quality of thinking that everyone can be redeemed. I mean, she convinced Judas to forgive himself and to ask for forgiveness as well. I don't think I would choose to date her, but I think she's relatively dateable. So... If you did have to date somebody in the movie, who would you date? I think it's Lucy. Lucy is a good friend. We're going to ignore the fact that she killed her best friend's father (laughs) and slept with her best friend's whatever Dracula is because she was under the influence. But, you know, the first time we see her, she's bringing coffee to Mary and consoling Mary about this bad dream. And she's always there to help her out after she's like all worked up and stuff. She seems nice. I'm honestly, you made a really strong case there. I was thinking Lucy, but Simon also is much less annoying than a usual action movie leading man. He's yeah, he's, he's like an guy. antiquarian who cares enough about his boss to follow him to America and yeah. spends his time trying to just, you know, help everyone after getting thrust into this crazy world. And he's not trying to like mansplain anything or you know, protect the small little girl or anything. He takes a backseat. He, he knows his place. I'm going to say Jerry Ryan. She seems fun. Working in local news is cool. You want to turn her on at 11, Will? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, none of these couples are going to stay together because most of them are dead. Yeah. Dead. Now. Or living dead. This is an important question. Many of the movies we have covered have been adapted into Broadway musicals. Colin, do you think there should be a Dracula 2000 musical? No. No, no, Interesting. no. Um, I think it did well as a movie. I'm not sure all the... Uh, the gore is not going to translate, and a monster movie without gore is... I don't think this movie could be done without the gore and the blood. I will say, I saw a production of Titus Andronicus that really showed what can be done with gore on stage. (laughs) They had to tone down the gore so people stopped vomiting in the globe. That's awesome. And I think it could be fun 
to have Dracula sing the ballad of Judas Iscariot on stage during a wirework scene. Yeah. Um, the thing that I kept thinking of when thinking about this question, and probably some of this is the Gerard Butler connection, but was the Phantom of the Opera. And I think Andrew Lloyd Webber's Dracula 2000 is a great idea. I would fly to the West End to watch it because I don't think it would be Broadway. I think you'd have to go to London for that one. (laughs) That is correct. But like, he would bring the right level of just over-the-top self-seriousness that this material needs. I mean, I think it's a perfect... I do not like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I think this is something that he is the only person that could tackle it. All right, I think that's about it for Dracula 2000. A surprisingly fun movie. Would recommend. Next week, we will be discussing another very fun movie, Robert Zemeckis's Romancing the Stone. This is the movie that Zemeckis made before Back to the Future, subject of a future two-hour episode. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at LoveTheLovePod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Colin, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Dracula 2000? Have supernatural powers. Uh, they cannot resist the allure. I'm going to say don't date coworkers because they might secretly be criminals trying to steal from your boss. I'm going to say work at a virgin megastore. <laughs> but it has to Mark, be virgin. Did, did the company Virgin appear in this movie? I don't know. I... I'm not sure. I honestly had forgotten that Virgin used to sell records because I mostly think of them as an airline and train line at this point. Did they fly Virgin at all in the movie? I don't think so. We don't see anybody on planes except for the cargo plane. I don't know if Virgin Airlines was as big of a deal then. Maybe they took the Virgin space rockets. I think it started as a cell phone company. You can still get Virgin cell service in the UK too. All right. Anyway, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye!